It used to be win a championship, a World Series, NBA title, whatever it is, you win a trophy in your sport, you're going to the White House. So it was a given. Entire team shows up, takes a picture with the president, and it's a memory that usually teams will post in their training facility or on their media guide. But with the Trump administration, athletes are speaking out. Some are protesting by not going. Some teams have not gone at all. The Warriors had their offer rescinded by President Trump. LZ Granderson is in studio today to talk about the change in the political views of players, how they approach it when the opportunity comes to visit 1600 Pennsylvania, and how they're taking it. Alex Cora, manager of the Boston Red Sox, Puerto Rican native, has been very outspoken to the Trump administration of how they handled Hurricane Maria. He told the media that when the Red Sox do visit the White House, he will not attend. Now, this isn't a political podcast today, but LZ Granderson, sports columnist who likes to take us outside of the box score, stops by today to give us his opinion about what he feels athletes are doing in 2019. Also, we'll talk to LZ about his role at the LA Times, how he got started, and what he thinks about the way sports and culture are meeting. I'm your host, Beth Duran. It's time for the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. It's Wednesday, May 8th. In the Arrive Early, Leave Late studios, joined by LZ Granderson, who I'm getting to know a little bit better. Saw you in Vegas last week as you yes. worked the Canelo Jacobs fight on DAZN. And before we get going, I know you can't really talk about fashion on a podcast, but my <laughs> goodness, your coat. What? I thought you were going to talk about the Met Gala. Since you talked about fashion, I thought that's where you were going, not my jacket. Let me see. On a sports podcast, the amount of people that know what a Met Gala is. Very high. Yeah, because they think Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham Jr., Tom Brady, they all showed up. Because what? what okay, we're doing it here. What, what is the Met Gala? All I know is that J Lo and A Rod were there wearing See, pink. They were wearing pink. It's basically just a celebration. Okay, of, I'm good. So thanks for the Mets. Ah, uh, here you go. It's a celebration of fashion and 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 uh, art. Uh, and, uh, well, come just, on. I started this giving you props for your coat in Vegas. Now, you had a very interesting column in this week's LA Times about President Trump, the Red Sox, and Alex Cora, who's a Puerto Rican native, not going to the White House because he doesn't feel like the president has done enough for his island, which is also a U.S. territory. And you wrote about that. Why? I wrote about it for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, it's topical, right? Not just because of Alex Cora, but because... President Trump, as well as Congress, are in this heated debate about allocation of funds to help for hurricane relief in general. And, you know, you have one side of the aisle that doesn't feel as if enough has been done for Puerto Rico, and then you have the other side of the aisle that feels more than enough has been done. So it was timely because of sports, but also because of politics. And as you know, that's kind of where my sweet spot is. Yeah, that's where your sweet spot is. I'm not there. I <laughs> don't pay attention to that. I mean, I do to stay as an informed citizen, but I don't argue politics or religion. And I just don't get into that with anybody else, and especially my close family, because there's no need for that. In our family group check, forget it. But it was interesting reading your column because you brought up both sides, how Republicans would view it, how Democrats would do it. And if you're listening to the podcast right now, you're thinking, oh, here we go. You're gonna do No, it's not that. We're going to keep it sports yeah, because course. for many years, it was no matter what, you win and you're going to the White House. When President Trump took office, 
it completely changed? Well, I wouldn't say completely changed. If you go back to, say, like when Bill Clinton brought in the Green Bay Packers, I believe it was Mark Chimura who said that he wasn't going to go because he didn't approve of what was happening with Monica Lewinsky. And so that's way okay, back But you would 90s. have one or two, but you would have an outlier. You certainly weren't having complete teams being as vocal as they are now. And, and some of that has to do with just the transformation that's happened with media, particularly with social media. But if you notice when it happened in 2015, 2016, with Colin Kaepernick and President Obama, people think that Colin Kaepernick started protesting during President Trump. That's not true. It was actually during the Obama years in which he began his protest. It escalated during the President Trump's presidency for a lot of reasons, one of which is really good fodder for himself in terms of getting his base fired up. But the protest began during Obama. Other things that happened during Obama, LeBron James becoming more vocal. Serena Williams becoming more vocal. Uh, you had white athletes getting more vocal in terms of criminal justice reform because they had been talking with some of their black teammates about the impact it's having on minority communities. And so I was just noting that when it came to Alex Cora, the thing that was really interesting was that for the most part of uh, the controversy in terms of White House visits played out during the offseason with the Red Sox during the middle or just the beginning of their season. And it makes you wonder, because they're below 500, not performing at the same level they did a year ago, if there's a sort of disconnect happening with teammates now because you have a large number who are protesting the White House visit and you have some who are going to go. And when you look at a team and distractions, that's, I think, a natural sort of question to ask in regards to that conversation. And with baseball teams, they usually plan their trip to either play Baltimore or the Nationals on a day off. That's when they go to the White House yep. during the season because it's hard to get everybody together in the offseason. That's why they go during the season. And if you look at the roster, the amount of players that are going and not going, the majority that have decided to skip the White House are the minority players. Yeah. You know, variety of reasons. They all haven't been communicated. You can assume some of it has to do with maybe some of the, not necessarily the policies, but some of the verbiage that's been used in regards to particular Latino players by this president. But they haven't communicated that. Alex Cora has communicated why he's not going. And I thought it was great for a couple of reasons, mainly because it reminds us that the people of Puerto Rico still need help. And because they fell out of the news cycle, we're not really thinking about it. I mean, who was thinking about Hurricane Maria two weeks ago? Nobody. No one, except for the people in Puerto Rico who are still trying to get electricity, food, and water. So Alex Cord using his platform in the way that he did, to me, is what you would want from athletes. It's what you would want from leaders in sports. That, yeah, you have our attention. Yeah, we're great. You can hit a baseball really far. But now that we're looking at you, now what? If he was doing something in terms of hurricane relief, the way that J.J. Watt was doing it, we would already be applauding him, right? We were saying, yeah, you're sportsman of the year. But Alex Cora is talking about Puerto Rico. People are like, eh, is that really America? I mean, Texas is America. Is it? Isn't it? Is it? Is it, is it, is it not, right, right. Then you have Do you the, need a passport to go to Puerto Rico? Then you, you have, have the like president that. to insinuate that, yeah, it's America-ish. You obviously have a lot of conversation in terms of brown people and immigration conversations. So, I mean, there's a lot of political juice to this that makes you look at this topic a lot more closely and ask ourselves as a nation, is this the way we treat fellow Americans? Because at the end of the day, that's what they are. They're Americans. What about to the people that say, forget who the president is, you should take it as an honor to be invited to the White House and respect the office. You should go. Personally, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go because... 
I believe the administration has done a number of things that have negatively reflected on the various communities that I represent. Whether you're talking to the LGBTQ community, whether you're talking to the African-American community, whether you're talking about being a black man or a black person in this country. Calling NFL players who are exercising their First Amendment rights sons of bitches for doing so is just not something I want to be celebrating. But that's me personally. And I could see why other minorities would feel the same way because some of those remarks are to me, quite offensive. And while it is true you should respect the office of the presidency, you would think the office of the presidency would respect the U.S. citizens as well. Now, let me ask you this, LZ, a hypothetical question. Mm -hmm. Say you are the Lakers beat writer. Mm -hmm. Lakers, when they go to the White House, the beat writers also go because they have to write the story about that team attending the White House. If you were on that beat and had to go as your job, would you go? Absolutely. Then what's the difference between that and being a player? Well, one, it's my job to cover the news, wherever the news happens. That's not the job of a player. (laughs) The job of a basketball player is to work with the media, play the little sports, maybe do a little community service, and then go ahead and find ways to spend that money on their new, you know, whip or whatever the heck they want to do. There's no obligation for them to do that. It's a choice. I find it very interesting. And we're in 2019 and the friend of mine, Ricky Romero, who played with Toronto Blue Jays. Mm -hmm. And when he played at Cal State Fullerton, they went, with all the college teams, to the White House when President George W. Bush was in. Mm-hmm. And we were looking through the pictures. He's like, yeah, that's cool being there when you're 20 years old. But then you start posting it, and he would hear some backlash. Mm-hmm. Of how could you support Bush? He's like, well, at the time, we didn't know what's going on. Because you're a 20-year-old. You're a dumb college athlete. Right. You're not woke. You're not paying attention. Right. And then everybody's piling on you. And we saw the picture of the Baylor women's basketball team when they were in the Oval Office with President Trump. Mm-hmm. And the reaction on the faces of some of these players were, we're just here so we don't get fined. A lot yeah, of them were. Yeah, it was kind of like that. <laughs> what about to a team like that where it feels like they were forced to go? Well, that's what you sign up for when you're in college. You don't have the same freedoms as you do as when you're a professional athlete. You're a collegiate athlete, and so like you have to obey the NCAA rules and regulations. Whether you find them moral or not, those are the regulations as they are right now. And if the university decides this is what you want to do, you can, I guess, protest if you want to. But if you want to not risk playing time or offending your coach or maybe being cut, I don't know, then maybe you feel fearful of not going all together. Or maybe you're hopeful that if you go there, you have an opportunity to engage a little bit with someone at the administration and and voice any concerns you may have. We're projecting a little bit in terms of what we think their faces look like, the women at the Baylor basketball team. It could be because the fast food was cold and they just disapproved of the cold fast food. We don't know. Cold fries are nasty. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) It goes to where I'm leading you with this and the column that you had about Alex Cora in the White House you mentioned a former Bulls player named Craig Hodges, mm-hmm. who won the three-point contest of the All-Star Year. One of the great three-point shooters. Long Beach State's Craig Hodges was an assistant with the Lakers. I didn't know this, but when he attended the White House as a member of the Bulls with the Jordan Bulls and mm-hmm. Pippen and everything else, you know, he was a role player on that team. Important piece, but he wore a daishiki to the White House and he passed a note to then-President Bush. Yeah, H.W. Bush. The note basically just sort of expressed some concerns he had in terms of how the administration and the country as a whole was handling issues with minorities, the poor, and particularly the homeless. And he took the opportunity, just as Alex Cora was weighing whether or not to go and have a word with the administration, he, Alex decided not to go. Craig Hodges decided to go to have that word. The NBA at the time viewed what Craig Hodges did as, quote, embarrassing, and he was cut soon thereafter by the Bulls. Now, some people would say, well, he was a role player, as you just said, and that's true. 
but he was a role player who had just won his third consecutive All-Star Game three-point shooting contest. Three straight. He was a role player, sure, but he was a role player who obviously was an important piece to that championship team. Because at that time, it wasn't like now where the three-point shooters are a dime a dozen. Mm -hmm. Three-point shooters who were shooting well above 30%, which he was, they were kind of rare still, precious commodities. And then you really knew the NBA was tripping, if you will, because they said that he couldn't defend his three-point shooting trophy because there was a rule about how you had to be an active player in the NBA, which wasn't true. Was called out about it in the media. There was actually a player a couple years prior to that who wasn't playing in the NBA but had an opportunity to participate in the three-point shooting contest. So the NBA then allowed him to participate once they were called to the mat. And that really exposed the real reasons why he was essentially blackballed because he had taken the opportunity to go to the White House, express concerns for the minorities and poors, and the NBA said, don't do that on our watch. Would you remember that happening? Oh, yeah. Were you in the media, Ben? Uh, I was in college then. Okay. So I was a college writer. Western then. Michigan Broncos, right? Western Michigan University Broncos. That's right, go. baby. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> so you remember that happening? Yeah, I definitely remember that happening. And it had a profound impact on me because, one, it was the first time I had empathy for the Bulls. I'm from Detroit. We hated the Bulls. But when you saw that play out with Craig Hodges, you realized that there were some things that were bigger than sports. And in some ways, that really began my path down the career that I have now, looking at that intersection a lot more closely. What happened to him is very similar to what happened to Colin Kaepernick. Fast forward 20-some years later, right? Colin Kaepernick takes the opportunity to try to direct attention towards what's happening with minorities. And the NFL says not on our watch. And his career has essentially been you know, extinguished as a result. Cora, who has used his resources to help in the recovery of Puerto Rico, isn't disrespecting the office of the president by not attending the ceremony. He is holding it accountable. Fortunately, that's no longer a career killer. Yeah. Why did you write that? Because one, Craig Hodges, two, Colin Kaepernick, and three, it's my gentle way of encouraging athletes to not be afraid to use that platform to step in some choppy waters, to dip their toe into some chilly waters, to take a little bit more of a chance in terms of standing for what they believe in. That doesn't mean that I need you to only believe thoughts that are one way or the other. It's just that, look, you could be, quote-unquote, safe and try to pretend as if everything's fine and dandy. You could go the bland, vanilla route and not get engaged. But if you look at the vibe of the country right now and the tension and the certain degree of uncertainty I think that's kind of rippling through the nation. We need leaders who are courageous and not just those who are politicians or those who are public servants, but instead of maybe pushing your gym shoes, you push some positive thoughts. Alex Cora is just trying to help American citizens. Let's not get it twisted. He's trying to help American citizens. He's not helping others. He's not saying the U.S. should go out and nation build. He's saying we need to make sure that we're taking care of Americans who have been without electricity for a year and a half since that storm hit. We got to take a quick break, and then we'll pick this conversation right back up. Hi, everyone. It's me, Lucas Peterson, L.A. Times food columnist, and I think you'll be pleased to learn that the L.A. Times food section has relaunched both online and in print. 
We have excellent recipes, outstanding reviews, unbelievable local food news, all for you at the very affordable price of 99 cents for the first four weeks for online access and $1.99 per week after that. Find our content online every day and in print on Thursdays. Go to latimes.com slash hungryla to subscribe. You write a lot about sports and the intersection, whether it's with religion, politics, whatever it is, it makes you want people to think outside of the box of just the box score. You want them to think about more than just the game and the final result. You do that knowing that there's going to be backlash. You do that knowing that you're going to piss off half the people. Maybe. But why do you feel it's important to do it the way you do it? You could easily have just stayed the vanilla way and had the regular easy job. Then I'd be looking at someone else. I wouldn't be looking at myself in the mirror. It's just the way that God decided to make me. I like to say God has a sense of humor, and I'm the exact reason why. Because I'm naturally an introvert, but he gave me an extrovert's career. He made me a proud gay man, and then he threw me in the most homophobic area of everyday life. And then he sits back and go, okay, let's see how he handles this. <laughs> you know. And But I figured that I'm here for a reason, that... I recognize the fact that I've been blessed to have this platform, and I'm sure it's not so I can buy like a nice jacket and wear it to Vegas. So I don't mind taking the heat because I'm assuming God made me a little bit more flame-retarding than others. But there's a lot of people who wouldn't want to take that heat. And that's fine. I'll tell you this. I have known over the years a fair number of closetive athletes, some top 10 in their sports, and I never tell them, you have to come out. Everyone has their journey. I didn't come out right away. I was married to a woman. Took me a while to figure it out. Got divorced, and here I am. Everyone's got their path. Everyone's got their journey. I'm not going to tell a closet athlete has to come out. What I will do, though, and what I have done, and what I continue to do, is tell them what's happened in my life since I've come out. Having read you for years when you were at ESPN Magazine, then you came to ESPN Radio in Los Angeles, and because you would write long feature stories, so you weren't like a columnist who was writing all the time where your name was constantly out there. So when you would be in the ESPN magazine, RIP, you would make people think. At least you were making me think. I had no, first of all, the letters LZ, I'm like, okay, what is his real name? Like, because that's a, that's a very interesting byline to begin with, right? So and then it's not like you were at games in LA or games in New York. You were writing big feature stories. But you could see your stuff coming through where you put yourself into your project. How did you develop your style where you said, this is what I'm going to do? First of all, thank you for that, because you never know as a writer if people are reading you, and you kind of hope they do, but the important thing is you got to get off your chest, otherwise it haunts you. So that's part of the reason why I try not to write too often, because I don't like to write just to be heard. I write because I think there are things that are out there that needs to be talked about, and I have to get it off my chest for my own sanity. And then if you want to come with me on this crazy ride, that's great. It's kind of my approach. But I grew up reading Mitch Album and... Detroit... Detroit Free Press. And it's uh was it Tuesdays with Maury? He wrote Tuesday with Maury. And um, a bunch of other books. And a bunch of other books. Mitch is a fantastic writer. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. I've told him that as much. Whenever someone asks me, like you're doing about my career, I always start there because that began the wheels turning. I was always kind of a writer. As I said, I'm more of an introvert, so I was always kind of within myself anyway, being very introspective. And writing allowed me to be more vocal without opening my mouth. When I got to college, I read this book, Nathan McCall Makes Me Want to Holler. And Nathan McCall had a background very similar to my own. 
inner city, didn't always do the right thing, took him a little bit longer to kind of figure it out before he became an eventual writer. So those two guys, Nathan McCall as well as Mitch Album, they're the ones that when I combined their two careers, laid the blueprint for what I wanted my career to morph into. Now, it wasn't easy. People didn't always get my vibe, didn't always get what I was going for. But I was just very fortunate. I had just enough angels that did believe in me. That's a play on words because Angel hired me here at the LA Times. Makes me want to holler. McCall provided the detailed story of his life and the hardships he experienced growing up with racial profiling, class differences, and peer pressure. His second book, What's Going On? You write about race, which makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I think it's beautiful. Makes me uncomfortable. It makes you uncomfortable? Yeah. Why? If I'm comfortable with everything that I write, then I'm not digging hard enough. I'm not digging deep enough. I'm not exposing enough of myself. Pushing sin is like the second hardest thing I do. The first hardest thing is writing the first word. So between the first word and pushing sin, that's the easy part. Pushing sin and not knowing if what you're saying is right. Pushing sin and wondering, you know, what the repercussions are going to be. Yeah, that's scary as hell. You can ask Angel. Angel's like, yo, you said it's going to be at 3 o'clock. Yeah, I know, dog. But, uh, <laughs> but when you first started as a columnist and you were writing these kind of story, where were you? What city? What, what paper? I would say the first time I really started writing pieces like this, I was in college. I was writing about the intersection of sports and politics and culture when I was in college. How did they take it then? I got called the N-word a lot. It was a predominantly white college. Because it's 2019 (laughs) and there's still people uncomfortable with what you're writing. So I can't imagine when you're a 20-year-old L.Z. Granderson. And back in the 1990s, right? Yeah, on uh, a typewriter. (laughs) How old are you? I'm 40. All right, so you remember how we used to have to, like, cut the headlines oh, yeah. and put them on a paper? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember all that. Yeah, all that. I, I went to college without computers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all that. It was crazy, but the intersection just always kind of fascinated me. It wasn't always about race. Most of the time, it was actually about culture and class. I think one of the greatest culture war items has nothing to do with rich or poor or black or white or anything like that, sexual orientation, but food. When you go to, like, a discount grocery store and you look at the produce versus the nicer stores beat down i mean come on now <laughs> it's you beat look at down. The quality of meat oh it's beat down right so when you look at culture war and class war to me i look at just food if you know that poor people for instance are less likely to have proper health insurance than people of means and on top of that you give them poor quality of food in which health risk could be increased so not only are you suppressing their ability to get aid you're increasing their ability to actually get sick That, to me, is a class war that happens every single day that we really don't think too much about. Those intersections, those little pockets is where I like to reside in. We're talking about sports eventually, right? Yeah, and then you dribble basketball. (laughs) Then you dribble the basketball. Then you dribble the basketball. Well, that's also something that, having covered baseball for so many years, for a 20-year-old to come into a clubhouse not speaking any kind of English and having to conform to... This is the way baseball is supposed to be played, where in their country, they're flipping bats and they're like a banda on top of the dugouts and everybody's running around having a party. And here it's, oh, you hit a home run, act like you've been there before. Like It's very interesting to see how athletes from different cultures blend into a clubhouse or a locker room. That's why I love sports, because at the end of the day, the result is what you're all trying to strive for. But you have so many different cultures and attitudes and approaches. Heck, a dude from California has nothing in common with a guy from Alabama. And yet you throw them together in Arizona Fall League and it's like, hey, let's go play baseball together. Right. It's really interesting. And for me, I've never been a writer. I've never had to worry about opinions. I've always just been the reporter giving the daily news. And for you, you could see that and explore it. Like, How much fun is it just to be you and have the freedom to write stuff like that? I mean, it's definitely, I look more the responsibility than the fun, unfortunately. 
I'm a goofball when it comes to my life, but I take what I do very seriously. Because as I said before, I feel as if you've been blessed to have this kind of platform. You just try and use it for something other than just yourself. And so that's what I just try to do. And I love your example when it comes to the internationality aspect of baseball. Because I always like to ask people when they talk about baseball records. I said, are we talking this time period or this time period? Because there was a time period where everyone didn't get a chance to play. We all know what we're talking about. And that impacts everything. How do people react to that? Like, oh, here you go. LZ just bringing up the black card again. Yeah. And I go, I don't bring up the black card. I'm bringing up history. I'm not making it up. It's not opinionated. You kept minorities out. How are your mentions <laughs> after you write a column? Oh, dude, I try not to pay attention to that. But you do. You peek. I peek. It's, but I, it's human I nature peak. to peek at your mentions. I peek, but I try not to pay attention. What I mean by that you is... You don't engage them. If I engage you, that means one of two things happening. My flight's delayed or I'm at the hair salon. <laughs> not even joking. Those are the two places that if you see me engage with fans or with readers or with antagonists or trolls, whatever, either I'm stuck in the airport and I got some time to kill or I'm sitting in the hair salon and my stylist is taking care of business. Now, let me ask you this. When you write a column, are you purposely trying to poke the bear? Are you trying to get people fired up? No? No, that's boring. It's way more interesting to me to be authentic. Anyone can be disingenuous. Cover your heart. You can cover your mind and be a contrarian and just set these bombs and walk away. There's a great line in Hamilton, the musical, that's repeated re- very subtly throughout the entire musical. And it's like, dying is easy, living is harder. So when you have people who are contrarians, they're taking the easy way out. It's a lot harder to be honest and be authentic and be open and expose yourself and expose your nerve and not sure whether or not you're going to come out on the other side the same way. It's a lot easier just to throw out something that doesn't really have any kind of attachment to you because you don't care how people respond to it. So, no. I don't believe in being a contrarian. I probably could have made a lot more money if I was. Mm-hmm. Especially on the TV platform. Especially on the TV platform. You want to embrace some debate, you can make all kinds of money. All kinds of money. And I embrace debate, but it has to be real. Yeah. I struggled that, too, in the middle of my career where it's like, hey, if you want to be embracing debate and argue, I'm like, what am I going to argue about this tennis match I don't care about? Like, Hey, wait, you don't care about tennis? What? Tennis is a beautiful sport. It is. I was watching tennis last night. <laughs> LZ Granderson follow him every morning listen to him on ESPN Radio along with Keyshawn Johnson and Travis Rogers on ESPN Radio 710 in Los Angeles columnist for the LA Times also check him out on DAZN always keeping the wheel spinning in my head Mike Heflin engineered the podcast Dave Wine is the producer as always download the Arrive Early Leave Late podcast share 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 alike and review and make sure to check out the LA Times sports Twitter account which really engages with you Fidel Martin is doing a great job with it. Angel Rodriguez is a sports editor. I am Bethel Duran. As always, thanks for listening to the Arrive Early Leave Late podcast. <laughs>